welcome to the Christchurch Winston-Salem podcast. To learn more about Christchurch, visit us at ChristchurchWS.org. Subscribe to our podcast at our website, iTunes, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Thanks for listening. Well, over the next few weeks, the lectionary readings include texts from 1st and 2nd Timothy. They are what we refer to as the pastoral letters or pastoral epistles. And in these two letters, Paul is instructing uh, his young apprentice, his mentoree, his lieutenant, Timothy, on how to govern the life of the church in Ephesus. Actually, he gives... He gives Timothy two categories of instruction. He instructs Timothy in how to, how to order his own personal life as a minister in God's church. And as I've been studying and reading God's Word in preparation for these sermons, those words to Timothy have been very challenging to me as well. And then he also gives instruction to Timothy on how to order, how to direct the life of the local congregation. And so he's speaking to a church there. Timothy is the pastor of the church in Ephesus. And so Timothy is being advised on how to cultivate a godly, thriving, faithful Christian community, a godly, thriving, and faithful Christian community in the city of Ephesus. But those words that we hear in Timothy, 1 Timothy chapter 6 this morning are not merely words to a church in Asia Minor, modern-day Turkey, 20 centuries, uh, 20 centuries ago, their words to us today in Winston-Salem, North Carolina. They speak to us today. So this morning, I want us to focus on really the last three verses in that passage. So it's uh, 1 Timothy chapter 6, verses 17 through 19. And hear what God's Word says again. As for the rich in this present age, charge them not to be haughty, nor to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but on God, who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. They are to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share, thus storing up treasure for themselves as a good foundation for the future, so that they may take hold of that which is truly life." Truly life. Now, as you obviously notice in those verses, it directly addresses the wealthy. And so some of us, maybe most of us, are thinking, well, I can take the next 25 minutes off if that's who he's talking to. It does not apply to me. Well, let me give you, let me give you two reasons why it actually does apply to all of us in this room this morning. First of all, you may think of yourself as somewhere in the middling classes, uh, economically, but if Paul were to meet you, he would probably say, no, you're definitely wealthy by my standards. You see, this is how most of us define being rich. Are you ready? Someone who has more money than me. That's who the rich people are. Not me, somebody who has more money than me, that's the rich people. But the main reason that this applies to all of us, even if we are of meager means, is that all of Paul's commands here are universal in character. For instance, poor Christians are to be generous just like rich Christians. It's not merely the purview of the wealthy. It's also the responsibility of the poor to be generous. It's just that the rich especially need to hear and be reminded of the things that Paul writes here in 1 Timothy 6, 
verses 17 through 19. So Paul says this to Timothy as the New International Version translates it. Listen, command those, command those who are rich in this present world. Oh, people love to be commanded. They just love it. It blesses them, doesn't it? Especially rich people. Rich people love it when they get commanded. But he tells Timothy, command those who are rich in this present world. Now that word command in the Greek is actually a military term. This is a military term. Paul tells Pastor Timothy to issue an order to the rich as a commander issues orders to the troops. And that sounds bossy, but really there is grace in it, and here it is. We all, all of us, and evidently, especially the wealthy, need to be reminded that we are under the authority of God's Word and that God has entrusted His church to be the guardian and proclaimer of the Word. And when an ordained minister of the gospel is speaking, such as Timothy, from the authority of Scripture, he has the authority to issue a command such as this. So, listen up, rich people, <laughs> and everybody else. In, in this passage, Paul commands the, the, the commands that Paul offers to Timothy to give to the wealthy, they actually break down into a, a set of warnings and a set of encouragements. Warnings and encouragements. There are errors to be avoided, and there are duties to fulfill in the Christian life for all people, and particularly for the wealthy in these, these passages. The first command is not to be haughty. Do not be haughty. That's a great word. It's almost onomatopoetic, isn't it? Haughty. He's just haughty. If you hear haughty, you know it doesn't mean somebody that's meek and mild. That's somebody's up on a high horse. They think a lot of themselves. Don't be arrogant. Obviously, this is not just for rich people. It's for all of us. But why would this be the special concern of the wealthy? Well, it's because the wealthy are especially tempted towards haughtiness and arrogance. When you have money, people will treat you different. You are deferred to. Money grants you special influence and power. And after a while, if that is the case and you have that experience, you begin to expect such treatment and to believe your own press clippings about just how important you are. So Timothy is instructed to charge the rich to check their privilege. Check your privilege. Now, don't be haughty obviously means not to look down on others or consider yourself better than others. Your, your portfolio does not make you more significant. Your portfolio, your bank account, does not make you a more significant person in God's estimation. In fact, God alone is the final judge of your significance. And 1 Samuel chapter 16, verse 7 says this, But the Lord said to Samuel, The Lord sees not as man sees. Man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. Now, in the church, there's also another nuance. There's another nuance to commanding the rich not to be arrogant. And this is very important. Please listen to this. And it goes like this. Your wealth, your wealth does not make you a special sheep. Your wealth does not make you a special sheep. Your money does not put you in a select class or special group in the congregation. Even in this church, in the past, I have had people tell me that their money meant that they should receive special treatment. 
They didn't have to abide by the membership covenant that they had agreed to because of their financial firepower. Those people don't go to Christ church any longer. <laughs> they needed a place where they could be special sheep, and it wasn't here. Most of us, though, would never articulate something so crass as these people had no problem articulating. But we may nurture the exact same attitude without saying it out loud. So dear, wealthy, beloved Christian brother or sister, you are not a special sheep. You're not a special sheep. And the next warning for the wealthy is to not set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches. Do not And tell them don't set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches. Of riches. I could give you many, many examples of how uncertain wealth is. I just told you a few weeks ago about my dad finding, I don't know, about a hundred and fifty dollars uh, in an old diary in, in one of our bureaus at back home, a chest, uh, uh, actually a standing writing table. And in that diary, uh, that, that I was thinking, of, and this was back from the 1860s, how much would a hundred and fifty dollars be worth today in today's money? That's quite a bit of money. You could really get a lot out of that. If it wasn't Confederate money, which it was Confederate money. You know, I don't care how much Confederate money you have, other than being collector's items, you you can't purchase anything with it. Wealth is so uncertain. We certainly saw that back in 2008 during the, the economic disaster of that time. Many people went to bed rich and then woke up poor. Went to bed rich and woke up poor. But we don't have to, we don't have to worry about when the next economic disaster will come our way because every one of us in this room is going to lose all of our possessions. You are going to lose all of your possessions, every single one of us. Wealth is always lost. Wealth is always lost. It is lost either in this life or when we die As the old saying goes, you never see a U-Haul behind a hearse. John D. Rockefeller, as you know, was one of the richest men who ever lived, and after he died, someone asked his accountant, how much money did old John D. leave? And the reply was classic. He left all of it. All of it. He left it all. You will lose all your possessions. Now, these warnings, though, are followed by some positive encouragements. Trust God, Paul says, as your ultimate source. As for the rich in this present age, charge them not to be haughty nor set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but on God who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. Isn't that awesome? Rich or poor, our supply doesn't ultimately come from us, but from God, and that is good news. Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 18 says this. We need to hear this because this really goes against the American way of thinking. It's uh, God says to the people of Israel, You shall remember the Lord your God, for it is He who gives you power to get wealth. All of our wealth ultimately comes from God. And there is more good news here. And that he gives us, he gives us all these good things. He richly provides us with every good thing to enjoy. It's okay to enjoy the things that God provides us. Christianity thinks that enjoying the good things of life 
is fine as long as we acknowledge that God is the giver and we honor Him with the gifts. It pleases God when we rightly enjoy His good creation. In fact, it should put a song in our hearts as we rightly enjoy His good creation. Everything from the splendor of a mountaintop to a large dish of lasagna. Hilaire Balak uh, wrote this little ditty. Wherever the Catholic sun doth shine, there's always laughter and good red wine. At least I've always found it so, Benedictimus Domino. Now I changed that. Wherever the gospel sun doth shine, there's always laughter and ale right fine. (laughs) At least I've always found it so, Benedictimus Domino. Then the rich are encouraged to do good, to be rich in good works. Again, Paul loves to play. He's playing those word, that word over and over in the Greek language. We hear it in the translation as well. Rich, richly. Be rich in this. Be, uh, God richly provides us with these other things. Paul says to do good, to be rich in good works. Again, this applies to everyone. It's not just the purview of the the wealthy alone, but it's really important for those of us who have more than average wealth to get our hands dirty serving real people, other people, not just writing checks, but serving them and alongside them, especially with those who are poor by the world's standards, because when we serve the poor, we recognize that they are created in the image of God just like the rest of us, and they deserve dignity. But here's something else. There are two places where we, know, we are confident from the Gospels that Jesus definitely is always present to us. One of those is when He gives us the sacrament of Holy Communion. He says, this is my body. This is my blood. Guess what you have when, someone, when you have somebody's body and blood together in one place? You have a person usually. That's them, Okay. So we are assured of His presence to us in the sacrament. But the only other place where we're definitely assured to encounter the real presence of Christ is in the least of these, His brethren. That's what it says in Matthew chapter 25. He says, when you have done it unto the least of these, my brethren, you have done it unto me. So we encounter Christ in the poor. And the more we do it, the more joy it gives us. Finally, the wealthy are encouraged to be generous and ready to share. Be generous and ready to share. This is probably the most important thing that all of us could hear this morning. We are to be radically generous, just like the radically generous God who richly provides us with every good thing to enjoy. Romans chapter 8, verse 32. This is the radical generosity of the God we serve. This is how generous God is. He did not spare His own Son, but gave Him up for us all. How will He not also, along with Him, graciously give us all things? That is radical generosity. And when we are radically generous, when we give sacrificially, we are becoming, as we are commanded to become, imitators of God. We are imitating the God who made us. And moreover, we break the power that our possessions have over us. When we are radically, lavishly, sacrificially generous with our gifts, our wealth, our money, it breaks its hold over us, its power over us. I, Brothers and sisters, I'm a gardener. 
I love to garden. I'm not a good gardener. I'm a mediocre gardener who really enjoys it. All right. But um, my, my dad once told me they were, he was at the uh, flower show at Kew Gardens in, in the UK years ago. And he said it, it, everything was so perfect. He said, I thought they were all artificial flowers. It was so beautiful. How did they get it to look like that? Well, you would never think, my, nobody would go to the effort to make artificial flowers that look what I, like what I grow. I'm not a great gardener. I love to garden. But here's what I've found. Money is like manure in gardening. If you spread it around, it does a world of good. But if you pile it up, it stinks to high heaven. Spread it around. Radical generosity is a core value of Christ's church. We need to actually bore down because we hear generosity and it just goes whoop right over us. It doesn't even, doesn't even tend to stick. So we need to bore down and get specific about what we mean when we talk about generosity. Otherwise, this will not challenge us. Giving a tenth, first of all, the first level of generosity is giving a tenth of our total income to God through our local church. This is the biblical minimum of giving. Minimum, the biblical minimum of generosity. Malachi chapter 3, verse 10. The Lord God says to his people, bring the whole tithe, the whole tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house. Now someone will say, oh yes, uh, that's Old Testament, Father Ben. That's exactly right. And here's what I found in the New Testament. God never requires less of his new covenant people than he required of his first covenant people. Go to Matthew chapter, chapter 5 through 7. You have heard it said of those in the olden days, you shall not commit murder. But I tell you that anyone that has hatred for a brother in his heart has already committed murder. What did Jesus just do? He just raised the bar. And again, in Luke chapter 12, we read it just a few days ago here at Christ Church. Jesus says, therefore, anyone who, of you who does not renounce all that he has cannot be my disciple. So, yes, Jesus never abrogates the tithe. He just raises the bar. So it is the minimal, minimal level of generosity. Randy Alcorn, though, says this, Tithing is not the ceiling of giving, it's the floor. It's not the finish line of giving, it's just the starting blocks. You know, I, I'll finish his quote. Uh, Tithes can be the training wheels to launch us into the mindset, skills, and habits of radical generosity. Now, here's where in the past I have had wealthy Christians pull the I am a special sheep card. Are you ready? This is where I've had it pulled. Pastor, tithing to the local church is for the regular sheep. It doesn't apply to me. They didn't say it just like that. Because it would hurt the congregation if I contributed a tenth of my income to the church. And then they give me their lame reasoning for that statement. And my question then to them is, and you know it's one of my favorite ones, says who? Who told you that? Your wealth, you mean your wealth means you get to disregard God's word? At what level? I want to know what level of income that the commandments stop falling off for the wealthy. Who do you think you are? 
You are acting like you are the owner of your money. Wealthy Christians, you are not the owner of your money. None of us owns our money. Here's what God's Word says. Psalm chapter 24, verse 1. The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, the world and all those who dwell therein. It all belongs to God. If you are a follower of Jesus Christ, that means that you are a steward of all that you have and that God is the ultimate owner. And you will have to give an account before Him on how you managed His money. It's His money. David, the richest man in Israel in his time, understood this, and so he prayed in 1 Chronicles chapter 29, Yours, O Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the victory and the majesty for all that is in the heavens and in the earth is Yours. Both riches and honor come from You, and You rule over all. In Your hand are power and might, and in your hand it is to make great and to give strength to all. Then David prays, But who am I? And what is my people that we should be able thus to offer willingly? For all things come from you, and of your own have we given you. All things come from you, and of your own have we given you. The late Bishop Edward Edwin Hughes once delivered a rousing sermon on how God is the owner of all things. It was called God's Ownership. And it really put a special sheep's nose out of joint in his congregation. A rich parishioner was upset by this uh, message. And so the wealthy man took the bishop off for lunch and they walked through, oh, he walked him through his uh, elaborate gardens and his woodlands and his farm and his beautiful home and Then he turned to the bishop and said, Now, are you going to tell me, he demanded when the tour was completed, that all this land does not belong to me? And Bishop Hughes just smiled and then he said, Ask me the same question in a hundred years. Now, there are so many other venues for our generosity, rich or of meager means, missions, Christian institutions, hospitals, schools that should be supported because they build a foundation for the gospel or they are, in, are involved in gospel ministry. So many ways that we can give. But the other explicit venue of generosity given to us in the Bible is to give to the poor. Proverbs chapter 14, verse 31, whoever oppresses a poor man, listen to this, insults his maker. You are insulting God when you oppress the poor. But he who is generous to the needy, he who is generous to the needy honors God. He who is generous to the needy honors God. Tim Keller writes, There is an inequitable distribution of both goods and opportunities in the world. Therefore, if you have been assigned the goods of this world by God and you don't share share them with others, it isn't just stinginess. It's injustice. St. Basil the Great, preaching in about the year 369, he, he took that up, he turned the knob up to 11. He said, what keeps you from giving now? Isn't the poor man there? Aren't your own warehouses full? Isn't the reward promised? 
The command is clear. The hungry man is dying now. The naked man is freezing now. The man is de- in debt is beaten now. And you want to wait until tomorrow? I'm not doing any harm, you say. I just want to keep what I own. That's all. You, your own? If anyone took only what he needed and gave the rest to those in need, there would be no such thing as rich or poor. After all, didn't you come into life naked? And won't you return naked to the earth? Beloved, God will not just keep us accountable. He will not just hold us to account based on what we give, but also on what we keep. Now, Paul gives us a wonderful encouragement at the end of this passage. Paul says that this kind of generosity that he is admonishing the church to, it enables us to take hold of that which is truly life, or as it is in the King James Version, to take hold of the life that is truly life, the real life. Ray Berryman, CEO for National Municipal Services Firm, says that he and his wife give at least half of their income to God's work each year. And this is what he says. My joy in giving comes from serving God in a way that I know He is calling me to, and is real, and in realizing that what I give is impacting people for Christ. Ray says it's exciting to know we're a part of evangelizing, discipling, helping, and feeding the needy. It just feels wonderful and fulfilling. And there are people here who could say the same testimony. You know the joy of that. The more we give, the more we delight, the more joy we have the more we delight in our giving and the more God delights in us. Our giving pleases us, but more importantly, it pleases God. And so if you want to lay hold of the life that is truly life, if you want to if you want to jumpstart your Christian life to the next level, the most effective means of doing that is to begin to become an imitator of God who richly gives us every good thing for our enjoyment, who did not spare His only Son but gave Him up for us all. Generosity is the pathway to joy. I, Lisa and I, and you know, when as again as I'm preparing for this service, um, thanks be to God, we ha- we have been, uh, and I could tell you the whole story sometime. You most of you already know that early on in our Christian life together as man and wife, it was Lisa who told me to do crazy stuff like giving away our money, and uh, she was right. And the thing that we found, though, is that we, it is a joy to get the giving statement. It's like, praise God. And so, uh, it, you know what that makes you want to do? It just makes you want to be more generous because you come in contact with the live wire of the power of God who is the abundant supplier of every good and perfect gift. So this morning, brothers and sisters, won't you lay hold to the life that is truly life? In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Thanks for listening. To learn more about Christchurch, visit us at ChristchurchWS.org. Subscribe to our podcast at our website, iTunes, or wherever you listen to podcasts. 